if I'm mistaken, I think that might be Carl Malden over there. Oh, all right. <laughs> Looking forward to hearing that juicy story. Uh, I wish there'd be more to it, but I, I, I just, I just like the name. Okay, good enough. That there is <laughs> okay. George Chapel. I am Keith Stone. This is George and Keith's musings. We talk about pop culture and things we like. And one of the people we like most is David Letterman. And he used to do a little thing on his show called Brush with Fame. Do you remember that, George? <laughs> uh, I do. And I also remember that you and I used to have a uh, a, a similar uh, uh, topic of conversation called friends of mine. So I think <laughs> I'm kind of like approaching it that way as you all. You may remember that. Yep, I do. Yep. Okay. Okay. So whenever that person would come up, we'd say, "Personal friend of mine." Yeah, it goes goes back to an old Steve Martin routine where he's he's imitating a a Vegas. Uh, uh, entertainer, and he's talking really fast, and he gets to the one point where he says, Sammy Davis Jr., personal friend of mine. <laughs> so it go. came to the point where it all, any someone that was even moderately famous that you or I had ever exchanged a word with, we would claim that that person was a personal friend of ours. Okay. Well, yeah. we'll see how we did then. Maybe I'm not remembering yep. all these personal friends, but so we're going to play <laughs> uh, Brush with Fame. And George and I will go back and forth and talking about uh, famous people we've met and how we met them and how that all broke down, correct? That is correct. Okay. Um, I guess I'll go first. And this is one of the uh, greatest Detroit Tigers of all time. And to this day, my wife, Sarah, hates this man. And <laughs> that person is Al Kaline. We, um, oh, okay. we went down to Lakeland, Florida, and we, my, my oldest boy, Andy, was about six years old at the time. And you go out there and you wait in the parking lot, the players' parking lot, and the players have to walk by you, you know, to get to the clubhouse. And, you know, it's spring training, everybody's laid back. So they're generally, they sign autographs for you and take pictures and yep. all that stuff. So here comes Al Kaline, and I'm all excited. I'm telling Andy, you got to see if you can get this guy. He's carrying a ball. He's trying to get everybody to sign. Yeah. And I said, see if you can get this guy to sign. So he's kind of, Andy's kind of waiting there. And Al Kain is signing a bat for a guy. And you know this guy is going to go out and sell it immediately. So here's this little sad-looking six-year-old boy standing there holding <laughs> this ball up. And Al Kain says, what do you want? I mean, like a what? total jerk. Yes. What? And so Sarah had to step in and say, well, he'd like your autograph. And so he grabbed it and he signed it without saying a word and stormed off. And Sarah hates Al Kaline to this day. I can't say that I blame her. I can't say that I blame her either. That's that's an awful story. It is. Yeah. And so Al Kaline, he's like, he's not a personal friend of Sarah's. He's a personal enemy of Sarah's. Yeah, they're frenemies. Wow, that's uh, yeah, that that's a that's quite a disturbing way to start off this little, uh, yeah. this little discussion today. It's not all rainbows <laughs> out there. I, I guess it's not. Um, all right. Well, I'm gonna I'll stick in in the world of of baseball, and my world of baseball uh, takes place at the Palace of Auburn Hills. Now I know what you're saying. You're saying, wait a minute. 
the Palace of Auburn Hills, that's not baseball, that was basketball. Well, yeah. that, that, now this goes back probably in the, uh, uh, the spring of 1991, right kind of toward the end of, of the, the Piston big heyday. They were still, they were still kind of a, 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 you know, a team that people would, would pay attention to, but it was kind of towards the end of that. But anyways, we, I, I was at the, at the Pistons game with a, with a couple friends and it just so happened it was, it was in April and the Oakland A's were in town playing the Tigers. I think it was the, uh, it was the opening day uh, for the Tigers. And if you know the way opening day works, they normally have opening day, then there's a day off and then they play two games. They always, they do that in case opening day gets rained out. Mm-hmm. So this happened to be the day between the day after Tigers opening day and the next game. So, so the A's were in town, uh, and these guys were looking for something to do. So it turns out a couple of the Oakland A's were at the Pistons game. So my, my friends and I were looking over here, and we see, like, over underneath the basket is Mark McGuire and Troy Neal. Now, Troy Neal was kind of, you know, big deal with Troy Neal. But, you know, Mark McGuire, everyone knows Mark McGuire. Of course, you know, he has since uh, gone down in infamy. Uh, for for things that we've already talked about, but at this point, 1991, Mark McGuire was still kind of an up and coming uh, hot shot in baseball. So, so my buddy and I, we decided we're going to go down there and see if we can get his autograph. So, the only thing I had to write on was a it was a Pistons program with Joe Dumars on the cover, and I grabbed a pen and I walked down there and I just kind of like walked up to him. I said, I said "Hey, uh, Mr. McGuire, can I get your autograph?" And he just he reached out, he, he grabbed the uh, the program, he signed it, and I said thank you, and then check this out. He winked at me. Whoa! Just, just like Field of Dreams, he winked at me after I said thank you. So I was like, this that was really cool. I said, you know, Mark McGuire, this guy is pretty damn cool. So we're walking back to our seat, and who else do we see sitting right behind the Pistons bench but Cecil Fielder? So I think. You know, so I'm feeling pretty high. It's like I got—I just got Mark McGuire's autograph, one of the top big first basemen in the American League, and here's Cecil Fielder. Here's another one. I'm going to go for this one. So I kind of like walk nonchalantly by Cecil Fielder. I tap him on the shoulder, and he turns around and he just stonewalls me, man. He just holds up his hand and shakes his head at me. Didn't say a word. So I, I almost got kind of Al Kaline by Cecil Fielder mm-hmm. there, and. So from that point on, I said, "All right, well, Cecil Fielder, you're in, you're in my doghouse, and Mark McGuire, you're going to be one of my favorite players until the steroid stories come out about you ten years from now." Mm-hmm. So, so there you go. Apparently, Cecil had the anger from all the steroids, while Mark McGuire, apparently, nothing, everything was fine. He was happy with life. Yep, yep. And Mark McGuire was more than happy to sign autographs for fans in a in a, in a visiting city. And then the hometown hero, no, that wanted nothing to do with us. Well, yeah. See, K-Line and Fielder. Yeah. You think they're the two of the greatest Tigers of all time, but but no, we're here to tell you, you know more yeah. about the story now. Yep. The okay, rest, well, let's, the go rest to a, let's go to a more heartwarming story, George. And okay. it would be terrible. This would be like if you found out something bad about Mr. Rogers. But oh. one of the most beloved uh, people associated with the Tigers throughout history 
is Ernie Harwell. So yeah. he is a gentleman and a prince of a guy. Um, well, I've seen Ernie Harwell a few times. One time was at that very same spring training. And, of course, Ernie yeah. was very nice and would talk to Andy directly like he was, yeah. you know, like he would understand him. We saw um, one time Ernie came to Sarah's school on a speaking tour, and he was very nice to the boys and girls, and he would take yeah. pictures and sign autographs, very patient. And so they're not all like Katie Lyon and Fielder. Ernie Harwell yeah. was one of the greatest gentlemen that I've ever met. Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that he's on my list, too. And you may re- recall a day back in 1984 when you and I drove out to Cleveland to watch Tigers play, uh, play the Indians, back in the, the 84 Tigers heyday. And before the game, Ernie Harwell was down at field level. And you and I went down, uh, talked to him, got his autograph. And you're absolutely right. Every Every story you hear of Ernie Harwell being a perfect gentleman is absolutely true. Uh, the guy just couldn't be more friendly. He was, there was, I don't think there was a single person he wouldn't talk to. He wouldn't sign autographs for. And I've, I've got a little, little uh, kind of a, an appendix to my Ernie Harwell story. And it's a few years ago. It turns out there was a, a woman that worked uh, on my floor at, at DTE who is Ernie Harwell's daughter. Really? And, but it's, it's, not, it's nothing she really, you know, she didn't spend a lot of time, you know, telling people all about it. You kind of had to kind of like hear her from a person who heard it from a person that, that she was. And so one day I just went up to her and, and, I, and I said, uh, I understand you're Ernie Harwell's daughter. And she got this big smile on her face. She said, well, yes, I am. And I told her the story of you and me in Cleveland and meeting him and just telling her that her father was just a, a, a perfect gentleman, uh, a wonderful guy, uh, and truly beloved in this city. And you could tell, you could tell that, she, you know, I don't think she ever gets tired of hearing those kind of stories. So it was, uh, it was, it was kind, of a, kind of a cool little thing to, to meet her as well. Ernie and Lulu's daughter. That's outstanding. Yeah. That, yep. I love she was, it. She was all four foot eleven. Little thing. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, she came from short jeans, so sorry about that. I guess so. Okay. All right. Now, George, I'm going to tell you a story about uh, a person, and you'll say, Rush with fame. I don't, I don't even know who this guy is. But that's your fault for not being a professional golf fan. Um, okay. And when, I, uh, when we lived in Grand Blank, there used to be an annual event called the Buick Open. We're all, it was a regular part of the pro tour and all the players would come through there. And, um, this person, we, I was the people we bought our house from, he was a big mucky muck at Warwick Hills, which was (laughs) the country club that they played the Buick open at. So he got me hooked up to be like a marshal there. And wow, I know, but I wasn't one of those guys that held the sign up outside with the rope outside the ropes with the the general public no i got to be what was called an escort marshal and we were in the rope inside the ropes and we would walk the entire 18 holes with the group so we had to get them from um from green to the next tee box and things like that just get around the course so the person i was following this particular day 
was Kenny Perry, who I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he is a golfer of some renown. He won the Masters one year. Um, All right. But the story gets better because um, we were planning a family vacation uh, heading south, like through Kentucky and going to Gatlinburg. And I like to go golfing on vacation, and I would plot my trip out. And one of the courses, we were going to stop in Franklin, Kentucky, and play Kenny Perry's Country Creek Golf Course. And, <laughs> I, and so we were walking, and we kind of had a moment, and I saw it. I said, hey, Kenny, I says, I'm going to be down at your golf course in like two weeks. I says, yeah. And he goes, well, he goes, I hang out there a lot. Maybe you can look me up. I said, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, so sure enough, Sarah and I and the, my two boys, um, Annie might have been a ninth grader at that time. We go to Kenny Perry's Country Creek Golf Course, and I asked the guy when we're paying our money in the clubhouse. I said, hey, is is Kenny here today? He goes, yeah, he is. He's around somewhere. And we go, that's cool. <laughs> so we headed to the first tee, and then there's a guy up there playing by himself, and he got ahead of us. Okay, we'll have to wait for this guy. We drive up there. It is Kenny Perry teeing off in front of us. (laughs) All right. So he's got, like, shorts on. You know, the the PGA guys never wear shorts. And so I approached him. I said, hey, I just remember me from the Buick Open. And he goes, kind of. And so, anyways, (laughs) he was a real nice guy, posed for a picture with us. I sent it to him later. And he sent it back autographed and everything like that. So you may not know Beautiful. Kenny Perry, but you need to get to know him because he's a he was a great guy. All right, yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll look that guy up. All right. Hey, how hard can it be to find out about a, a Masters winner? Right, not difficult at all. All right. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to you know sticking kind of Detroit. A lot of a lot of my list is is michigan based i got a few that aren't uh but i'm going to kind of save those toward the end uh so i'm going to this is another uh detroit sports legend that uh red wing fans uh know a lot about first he played for him for a lot of years a uh, big goal scorer for him back in the 70s and he spent years and years as an announcer and it's mickey redmond oh and yeah my my brush with mickey redmond uh, comes back, I think it was 2004, 2005, whatever the, the uh, year was where they canceled the hockey season. And, and I, was, I just happened to be at Sam's Club one day, just, you know, doing the normal weekend shopping. And, and who do I see back by the frozen foods, or, or, you know, back in the refrigerator section, but it's Mickey Redmond, and he's standing there, and he's wearing, he's wearing a sweatsuit. And it was just, it was just this, a real. It was almost surreal, and then we were just kind of, you know. But he was, he was very friendly. He was he would, he would talk to people, and he would just, you know, he kind of say, "Hey, Mickey, well, you know what, you know, how how you spending the the year without hockey?" And he said, "Oh, you know, I'm just just kind of hanging out and going to Sam's Club, you know, wearing my sweatsuit." So, uh, but it was it was just a, a strange. It was probably maybe the strangest place to see someone that has some kind of celebrity to them so yeah mickey redmond in a sweatsuit at sam's club excellent that's that's a great story very nice okay i'm gonna go back to the pga golfers well once more but you've heard of this guy um 
So one of the jobs, like I said, when we escort Marshall, like a guy like Kenny Perry, there would be just two of us that would walk him from the one green to the next tee. Crowd control wasn't that big of a deal. Well, um, there was a bigger golfer at the time. This was like 2002, 2003, 2004 is when I was doing this marshalling. Tiger Woods was sponsored by Buick. This tournament was yep. the Buick Open. So he was always assured that he was going to be in town. Um, yep. So I was part of the, something that was called the Red Dot team. And there weren't two of us. There were six of us that would be inside the ropes with Tiger. There yeah. would be there was two FBI agents, two <laughs> uh, Oakland County sheriffs, uh, GM security was inside there. And then you can imagine all the media. It was a circus. It's a circus. Wow. And so we were, we, I was with them for five days because we did the Pro-Am on Wednesday, and then we went Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it was the hardest five days I've ever worked because there's just a billion people. And this was back then when, you know, camera phones weren't that prevalent. And we yep. were supposed to stop people from taking pictures and confiscate their cameras. And wow. all that guy. it was brutal. Man, you so, were hard. Well, I got to do it. It's my job. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyways, I'm walking with Tiger for five days. He's seen my face for five straight days. Um, the guy never says a word to any of us. And I understand yeah. it's a business. He's doing this every week. And it's just like a madhouse all the time. But you'd think the people that were there to try and help him navigate all that, he could at least say, you know, thanks for your help this week or something like that. Yeah. Um, the, the guys he played with would come up and introduce themselves and stuff like that and would shake our hands. But Tiger never said a word. Get to the last 18th hole the last day, and he was done. He didn't win it. So he was into the clubhouse, out into his car, and out of there. Not a word said to any of us. And so, as we came to find out, you know, Tiger is kind of an ass. And he was oh, yeah. definitely, definitely an ass that week. A little bit of slack because, like I said, he has to put up with the circus every week. But still, the people that were trying to help yeah. you, you could at least say thank You've you. You've got to be decent, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Does he, re did he really drive a Buick? Well... He did that week because they all got courtesy cars. Okay. And so they're all driving you know, whatever the best SUV that Buick had at the time. Okay. I got to tell you, because I was always a little skeptical watching those Tiger Woods Buick commercials and saying, yeah, right, Tiger drives a Buick. Well, he gave it to his mistresses as parting gifts or something. Oh, okay. Oh, heck of a guy. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going back to uh, Detroit sports once again. This is, this is a, real, a real quick one. Um, but it, this was, uh, you may recall the, uh, 2006 Detroit Tigers season, uh, kind of like their return to greatness, uh, actually got to the world series, should have won the damn thing, uh, fell short, but it was shortly after that in the fall of 2006, I was sitting at a restaurant in downtown Detroit and who walks past but Dave Dombrowski. And as he's walking past, I, I shout out to him and says, hey, Dave, great job. This, or great job this year. And he said, thank you very much. So it was that verbal exchange that allows me to call him personal friend of mine. Well, that's really weak, George, yeah. but okay. <laughs> it's your list. <laughs> that's oh, hit me with another one then because I've got 
I've got one where I'm going to have to put four guys together. So go ahead and give me another well, my, one. My next one is a four guy as well. So oh. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll just go ahead and do it because it's still in the world of Tigers. Since I'm, I'm, I'm feeling Detroit Tigers here. This goes back to uh, about 20 years ago or so. Um, it was at the Renaissance Center, and there was a, a big autograph signing day, and it was uh, – and they had four of the 84 Tigers that were signing autographs. And so all you had to do is just wait in line and you could walk through and, and you know, they'd, they'd all sign, sign the stuff for you. And this particular day, it was, it was Kurt Gibson, Lance Parrish, Dave Rosemont, and Hall of Famer Alan Trammell uh, were, all, mm. were all signing, uh, uh, you know, just autographs for people. And what I brought in, I brought in a, a card. It was a, it was a card that had a picture of a, a little kid at Tiger Stadium. Um, and they, they each signed that, that card for me. And, and they all kind of actually commented on the card, too. They all, they all really liked it. I think it was something different that they, they hadn't seen. Uh, they, they liked the idea of a little kid sitting with his ball glove at, at Tiger Stadium. Uh, kind of took them back to their, their own youth. Uh, and all four guys I, I thought were, were, were pretty, pretty decent guys to talk to. Um, and then uh, about seven or eight years later, I'd, I'd see Kurt Gibson once again. Uh, Kurt Gibson lives in Gross Point, And uh, when my son was playing baseball at Gross Point North, the, the biggest event every year was the Gross Point North, Gross Point South game. And there were, this game would literally have, uh, two or three thousand people at it at a high school baseball game, and I just remember Kurt Gibson sitting there uh, watching the game as well. So I had another little brush with him then. Now, you one year for my birthday, I think you sent me a birthday card. Yeah, and it was autographed by a bunch of the Tigers. That's it. That was was that that one? That was that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're the best, man. Yeah. Well, I think it was, I think it was just the timing all worked out because I think it was like in in August or September that they did it. So it was like, hey, you know, you got a birthday coming up. It'd be like, what what could be a better birthday card than that? So, man. So, well, thanks again, George. Oh, hey, you're more than welcome. Okay. I just, this I just, one is. Uh... I just want all the listeners out there to know that you and I really are friends, even though you know we sometimes like bicker at each other. Right, right. Well, you know, yeah. we know each other's skeletons. We know where the bodies are buried. That's true. This next one is four people out four different times, but they had a, a thread that ran through all through of them, and it is Michigan State basketball. Okay. Um, this is more of Sarah's brushes with fame, but I was there for two of them, and then I had seen this other person at different times. So, I, we call this the Mount Rushmore of Michigan State basketball. Now, keep your answers to yourself, but if I said, who are the four biggest names in the history of Michigan State basketball, you might come up with an answer, and I think it's going to include these four guys. All right. Um, the first one we saw was we uh, lived in Grand Blanc, and this guy was from Flint, and so he often worked out at the same gym that we did, and it was Mateen Cleves. Yep. The okay point guard of the 2000 national champion yep. Spartan. So you win a national championship, that puts you on Mount Rushmore. Ab absolutely. And, and he was, he was the so face we, of that team. Yes, he was, definitely. And so he was, you know, kind of a lovable guy at the time. <laughs> he ran into some trouble later. Yep. But 
Um, so, uh, we, so we saw him several times. And one time at the gym, Sarah got her picture taken with him. Okay. Um, another time, we were uh, we went as a it was a present for my son Andy, who went to Michigan State and loved all things Spartans. We bought tickets to go to the uh, the end of the year uh, banquet for the basketball team, and so part of that was. You know, you could go in there and you need to get some food and drinks. And the players were all milling around there. And so was Coach Tom Izzo, you know, coach of that 2000 National Championship team. Yeah. Most successful coach at Michigan State. So that was kind of an easy one. Yeah. Uh, Sarah went up to him and he happily posed for a picture. Sure. No big deal. Another time, I was I was at the game, at the Michigan State game. Sarah went out down to get like a popcorn or something like that. And... She comes back running up, all excited. She goes, guess who, I, guess who I just got my picture taken with? I says, I have no idea. Magic Johnson, oh, okay. point guard of the 1979 National Championship team. She, um, she said that she was walking out in the concourse and saw this big, huge crowd of people yeah. and this big, tall guy standing in the middle of them. And she didn't really know who he was at first, but she worked her way in there. And then figured out it was Magic Johnson and waited her turn, got her picture taken. Okay, because I was going to say Magic Johnson, is he is the George Washington of the Mount Rushmore of Michigan State basketball. He is, because he was the first big name. Yeah, he was huge. You're oh, right. yeah, he won, he, so, won, he won NBA championships, NCAA championships. Yeah, he was everything. Okay. Absolutely. So the last guy you could debate back and forth who it was, but at the time, the most recent – Spartan player was it's Draymond Green, okay. who was a very, very lovable guy. He's kind of turned into a heel a little bit now that he's in the NBA. But we went to when the first time that Draymond was with the, with the Warriors, they were playing the Pistons. And so we went to that game and we got there really early. Say maybe we'll see Draymond or something. Yeah. Not really thinking we were going to. We walked down the, in the, inside the arena head down the stairs, and there's, like, Draymond by himself like a ball boy with his warm-ups on, just shooting. <laughs> and so we walked all the way down there, and there was nobody around. And we said, hey, Draymond, would you pose for a picture? And he did. So Sarah got the picture with Draymond in his Golden State gear. Okay. And ta-da, there's your Mount Rushmore of Michigan State basketball. That, that's, that's well done. Well done, Sarah. Good job. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. Okay. I'm. Uh, I think I'm done with with Michigan now. I'm going to kind of go outside outside of uh, the comfort zone here. I'm going to go back to my childhood. Uh, I, I don't know how many of our listeners out there knew I, I, I grew up in Southern California back in the '70s. Uh, but in growing up out there, a lot question I would get from a lot of people is, "Well, did you did you see a lot of movie stars and celebrities?" And, Actually, the answer is no. I didn't really see that many, uh, but I did have have one uh, memorable uh, brush with fame. Uh, it was after I was in I think I was in fifth grade. It was after school one day, and I was just kind of like walking you know along the school grounds, and I look up and there's this guy standing out. Uh, he, he, he drives an, uh, an SUV. It's, it's like the car. And that, no, it's not Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad. It was, uh, and the guy was just standing there waiting to pick up his kid. 
Well, his kid was a year ahead of me. His kid's name was Preston Hagman. And this was actually Larry Hagman uh, <sighs> waiting to pick up his kid. And this is, this is at the time when he was known primarily as Major Tony Nelson for My Dream of Jeannie uh, before he became <sighs> J.R. Ewing. But he was just standing there at the door of his SUV, and I just kind of said, hey, how's it going? And he said, it's going great. Uh, <laughs> and that verbal exchange makes Larry Hagman a personal friend of mine. Absolutely. Yeah. So then before JR, that's pretty good. Before JR and after Jeannie. So he was kind of like, he was in between projects at the time. Right. Uh, yeah, but I, but I, I always know him more as, as Tony Nelson, so. Right, right. There so just is. to keep it fair and balanced, George, I've got two more left. Huh? How many, do you have more than that? Uh, I, I have, I'm going to say I've got two more left as well. Okay, well, then I'll keep going. Yeah. Um, this is my uh, oldest brush with fame. And I don't know if I ever told you this story, but I should have. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, I lived in Plymouth, Michigan, which was about 15 miles from Ann Arbor, where the University of Michigan is. Yeah. We used to have a really nice Hilton Hotel in Plymouth. And so... In late November one year, um, we had heard a rumor that the Ohio State football team was staying at the Plymouth Hilton because they're playing Michigan yeah. that next day. Yeah. And so it was the weirdest situation. I went with a, a guy that I went to high school with, Bill Childs, who I never hardly did anything with. I don't know how we got hooked up, but we did. And then another guy who I, I don't even remember his name. I don't even know who it was. But regardless, so we're, we figured, oh, my God, the place is going to be swarming with people. And, but we walked in, went right through the lobby. There's, like, no security. There's no people walking around. So we went up a back stairway, and we started walking around on the floors. And there's all these, um, these guys, and their doors are open. And <laughs> we're, we're just, like, walking around. We're walking in all these random rooms. And... Remember Archie Griffin yeah. won the Heisman back-to-back -back years. Well, after Archie Griffin, his brother Ray Griffin played. Okay. And so we were in there, we were talking to him, and he showed us, like, his Orange Bowl watch and yeah. all this stuff. But okay. Ray Griffin is not worthy of brushes with fame. No, 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 no. <laughs> so we're walking around, and I don't know. You know, at the time, I knew who all these Ohio State guys were, but I don't know who they are today. So we're waiting for the elevator to go yep. back down. We've, we've done our business. We're waiting for the elevator. The door's open. Out walks Woody Hayes. Nice. Woody Hayes, who's about four foot nothing. Yeah. And, he, and, I thought, and I'm thinking really quick in my head, like, holy shit, this guy's going to be so pissed that we're up there you know, messing with his players. And he goes, good evening, boys. How are you? And just walked on down the hallway just like that. Wow. And we were like speechless. We couldn't say a word. And we were just glad they didn't punch us yeah. as he later did and got fired. Yeah, like the, Cle the Clemson player. You know, yeah. if you'd asked me half an hour ago, who's a bigger asshole, Al Kaline or Woody Hayes? I think yeah. everyone in the world would say Woody Hayes, right? Absolutely. I think we're, we're, learning, we're learning the truth about these people. That's what, that's what we're bringing the people. We're bringing the people the truth. That's what we do. Yeah. Um, all 
right. I got okay. I got one more here. Uh, well, actually, I had a couple more, but this this next one, you may recall back in our college days, uh, I had uh, a particular rock and roll favorite of mine. He's, he's not that well known, uh, but he's, he's, a, he's a great great guitarist. His name of Robin Trower. Robin Trower. He was he was a pretty big uh, guitar player back in the seventies. Put out a bunch of albums, and I I bought a few of them. And then uh, about 10 years later, when I was working, I was living in the southwest part of the state. And and uh, a guy I was working with, you know, we, we listened to the radio all the time. And, and the local radio station said, hey, be the, you know, the 27th caller, and you can win tickets to see Robin Trower. He's playing, he's giving a concert in Kalamazoo. So it turns out the guy I worked with, he just called in and happened to win him, win the tickets. And he was also like the like the special caller, uh, and he got backstage passes. Well, he didn't know who Robert Robert Trower was at all, and I told him he was like <laughs> one of my favorite guys of all time. So he just gave me the tickets. So I actually got to go up, sit and watch a Robin Trower concert, sit in the front row, and then go backstage and and meet him uh, after after the concert. And I actually, I remember in, in Mount Pleasant, I bought three Robin Trower albums at that, that, whatever that head shop is we used to go to to buy like records and things. I took those mm-hmm. records in and he signed each of them for me. And right now I've got three signed Robin Trower albums somewhere in my record collection. I do remember that, George. You opened my mind to Robin Trower. Yeah. I had never heard of him and you... You loved yourself some Robin Trower. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm here to tell you, he put on a hell of a show. Well done. He burned Kalamazoo to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. All right. Okay. All right. This is my most nationally famous one. I saved the best for last. All right. More. Um, what do you have? Yep. My son's Matthew. Now my youngest son. He is eighth grade class takes a trip to Washington, D.C. And so, oh, boy, I got to see a president or something like that. This is really, really cool, right? Yeah. No? Um, so we did the usual stuff. We hit all the spots. And we're at Mount Vernon, the birthplace of George Washington. You met George Washington. Well, <laughs> you think, or George Washington's daughter, right? I used to work with George Washington's daughter. Yeah. No, none of that. So we they do the thing, and you know how they cleverly – Whenever you're at a museum or a place like that, they always dump you out in the gift shop at the end, right? That's right. And so you can buy something. And it was really strange. I don't know how Matt and I did it, but we were separated from his group, or maybe they just cut us loose and said, you know, meet us back here in two hours. So it was just Matt and I, and we're walking around the gift shop, and there's a guy looking at sweatshirts, that say Mount Vernon on them. Yeah. And I go, I know this guy. It is none other than Mr. Christian Slater what? of Hollywood fame. Wow. Yep. Okay. And at the time, I don't I didn't I didn't look, I should have researched it, but when we did favorite dramatic movies, I'll bet Heather's was way up there on my list because I love that movie. That is that is a and great Christian Slater played Christian Slater played a nutball in that movie. Kind of a Jack Nick um, type. Exactly, yeah. young Jack Nicholson. Yeah. So I was like, uh, I was trying to think of like, oh, I'm having a brain fever. Like, Christian Slater, what, what movie was he in? What, what should I say to him? I don't know what to say. And all I could think of was Heather's. But this is like 15 years after Heather's or 10 years after yeah. Heather's. 
And so, but I, what can I do? So I says, I says, hey, Mr. Slater, I says, I love your work. Uh, Heather's is one of my all-time favorite movies. And he was really cool. He didn't talk like Jack Nicholson or anything, but, <laughs> but he, he was, I go, I go, what are you doing here? And he said, well, he, he was with his girlfriend and his, his son, and I don't know if it was their son or her son or what. Yeah. But anyways, so he was just like Johnny Tourist like we were, and <laughs> I asked him to pose for a picture, and he did, and he's holding like this Mount Vernon sweatshirt up underneath his chin. That's cool. So <laughs> it is very cool. Yeah. So Christian Slater, personal friend of mine. Very much so with the picture to prove it. Yep. Okay. Uh, last ones I've got on my list is is it it goes back to my days in California, and it's like I these people that I have an association with before they were famous, but uh, in in my junior high yearbooks, uh, you can find along along with my picture, uh, my goofy middle school pictures. You can see Emilio Estevez, who is a year year older than me. You can see his brother Charlie Sheen, who is listed as Charlie Estevez in the yearbook, uh, who is two years younger than me, and one year younger than me is Mr. Rob Lowe. So I got all these outstanding, guys. George. I've got all these guys in my yearbook. I went to school with them. This is back before they were famous. And probably the funniest thing of the whole thing is, you know how in, in yearbooks they'll have, like, not just you know, the headshots of the, you know, of the classes, but, like, you know, the various clubs? And who, who, would, who was in the, you know, if you think of the Magic Club, the Magic Club has got, like, just the major nerdiest kids in the entire school, right? That's who, that's, Absolutely. That's who's in the Magic Club. Who was in the Magic Club but Charlie Sheen? Charlie Sheen was in the junior high magic club at Malibu Park Junior High School. That, George, that is fantastic. Yeah. Now, did you did you have any interactions with these people? <laughs> you probably didn't know them from anybody, right? Yeah, the only one I really knew uh, was Emilio Estevez because he was he was a year ahead of me, and he was kind of like one of those popular kids. So he, he was just one of those kids that everyone in school knew. So I knew who he was. He, I'm sure he didn't know who, who, the, who the hell I was. But um, Right. But, but it's only in years later, looking through the yearbook, that I, I found these other guys in there. And, and the Rob Lowe picture, particularly, you can, it looks it, – it, he, he's hardly changed at all in, like, you know, 40 years. It literally looks just like him. Yeah. Yep. It is. It is From his days on Park and Rec, yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, that's great, George. Those were great ones to end on for both of us. Yeah. Beautiful. So we hope we pulled back the curtain a little bit and reveal what these people really are like. Al Kaline, you shouldn't like. Woody Hayes, you should like. Uh, and, yep, change, you changed my uh, perspective on the world. Mark McGuire, pretty good guy when he's not doing the, the needle. Yep. Yep. Uh, Tiger yeah. Woods, pretty much what everyone expected. Yeah, no different there. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's great, George. Well done. Well done. Um, and this is uh, George and Keith's Musings. You can email us any of your brush with fames at gkmusings at yahoo.com. And we'll keep pumping out these um, podcasts. Tell your friends that this is the best stuff you've ever listened to. <laughs> and you wouldn't even be lying. That, absolutely. We're, we're telling the truth. Oh. 
Well done, George. We'll talk to you later. All right, man.